Good morning, Trinity. And a blessed 2021 to everyone. We are starting a new book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. So if you will turn to chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephathrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The word of the Lord. Thank you, dear. Thank you for leading us, team. Allison, thank you so much for those songs, just reminding us of God's faithfulness, His goodness, His help, His care, even when we're falling under the waves. Appreciate that very much. Good reminder. Good morning, Trinity Church. And a blessed new year to you as well. For those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us and connecting to our live stream service this morning. Just invite you to engage with God's Word as we dive into this and study His Word together. And uh, do, do stay in prayer. Jason mentioned some of those requests this morning. I just encourage you in the same way. Uh, keep praying for Don Harris, who's currently in the hospital fighting COVID, for uh, Al Harmon, who's uh, uh, also... He's in the hospital, he's fighting cancer uh, for uh, uh, Robert Dunlop, who is home, but still has a long road of recovery ahead of him. So please continue to be faithfully pray for these Trinity family members. And uh, let me just say a word too, we mentioned that the children's ministry will start next week and appreciate Casey's work on getting it ready and back up and running. And you may be asking yourself or some watching online may wonder, why would we start this? And currently there, you know, cases seem to be rising and so on. But um, we, we really researched this and studied it well and feel like we can create the, a, a better, safer environment that'd be even better for the kids to be in their own program. And we want families to be able to participate in worship. So um, we've got whole new protocols you saw that are on the website. And uh, so check in for kids. We'll have temperature checks and, and screening questions and so on and creating a really nice, safe environment. And they'll be hearing God's Word at, on their level. And that's really important for our families, for our kids as well. So um, be praying with us as we start this next week. And do encourage, if you know of, of families with kids or grandkids that just are looking for a church where they can connect and where their kids will be taught God's Word, um, invite them to come be a part of Trinity starting next Sunday, 11 o'clock service for the kids program. And let me just say a word of appreciation too. Last week I mentioned we're coming to the end of the year and uh, we were close and 
thank the Lord and thank you to you. We did make our budget on our giving income that was anticipated for the year above it, actually $2,400 more than what we had anticipated that we would need. So thank you so much for giving faithfully and praise the Lord for uh, answering those prayers and getting us to that point. Actually, I told the first service, it's more than that because we had a number of special occasions through the year where we just ask you to give above and beyond. So this doesn't even count that. In addition to those giving efforts, you gave in a way that helped us meet our giving goal for the general fund as well. So um, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we do come to you this morning with thankful hearts and we thank you for the way that you have provided for us as a church. Lord, you, as we sang, you are always so faithful you are always there for us, and uh, Lord, sometimes we forget that, and we forget to say thank you. So this morning, we pause to just appreciate your goodness, your kindness, your grace in our lives, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would be, this morning, responsive to you, to your word, because it's you speaking to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately um, communicate it, but Lord, most importantly, this is your living word. This is, this is a story in your word that you, have, that you have preserved for us to be able to, to know, to read, to study, and to learn from. And so, Lord, we want to learn those lessons this morning and then put them into practice in, in our lives right here, right now. And uh, so we ask for your help in that. By your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and guide us the very work that you sent your spirit to do may he do in our hearts today. And uh, may we learn from you and respond to you in obedience. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit the service to you to do the work that you would choose to do in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it was a year a bit like 2020, <laughs> about the pa like the past year we've had, except it was not a viral pandemic. In this case, in our biblical story, it was a desperate famine. Now, most of us have never experienced a famine. We don't really even know what that is. But it was rather ironic for those who lived in Bethlehem, and that's kind of one of the center points of our story, because the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But there was no bread. There was famine. It was a dark time. But it was not just dark because of the famine. It was dark because this was the era of the judges. If you know your Bible history, you know that this was a difficult time, a spiritually dark time for Israel, God's people. The nation was in the promised land right where God intended to place them, but they had not been obedient to drive out the heathen nations and to do away with the false gods that were there. And so because of that, they were led astray. And so what we see during the period of the Judges and the book of Judges is the, this cycle, this vicious cycle, where the Israelites would fall into disobedience to God. God's judgment, His punishment would come on them. They would cry out in desperation for God to rescue them. They would repent of their sin. God would deliver them. And then they would fall away back into sin and repeat that cycle all over again, again and again and again. And the book of Judges ends with this ominous commentary on Israelite society. It says in Judges 21, 25, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Which means they did their own thing. They looked out for themselves. They gave little thought to God's plan or God's will for their lives. That 
was the setting. That was what was going on in the nation as we drop into this story and we meet Elimelech, a man in Bethlehem. And when the famine hit, he decided it would be better and safer for his family to move to Moab. It seems reasonable, and it wasn't that far. It's about 50 miles to the southeast. You see on the map here a very simple drawing of this, kind of the other side of the Dead Sea, but it's out of Israel. And here's what you need to know. Moab was not just like going to the next state. This was an enemy country, an enemy of Israel, of God's people, a nation that God had put under His own judgment because of their waywardness, because of their false gods. And that's where Elimelech took his family. We're not told much about their life there in Moab except that shortly after, sometime after, Elimelech died. He left his wife Naomi and she was there to raise their two sons, Malon and Kilion. They both married women from Moab, apparently intending to stay in and live in Moab. But within 10 years after they had left Bethlehem, we find out from the story, as Beth read it, that both of those sons died as well. We don't know how, we're not told why they died, just that they died. And suddenly, Naomi found herself without a husband, without her sons, and she's devastated. As you can imagine, they had left Bethlehem intending, hoping to escape death from the famine, and instead death had followed them to Moab. So what happens here? And this is where the story in our chapter, chapter 1, moves on, because in the midst of her grief, Naomi hears that God has delivered Israel once more, the famine has ended in Bethlehem, and she decides it's time to go home, to go back. Her two daughters-in-law that were introduced to in chapter 1, Orpah and Ruth, they were determined to go with her. Now, this must have meant that there was a close relationship that had developed between Naomi and these two women because they were offering to leave their home country, their families there, and go back with Naomi. And so they begin their journey, and before they get very far at all, maybe had hardly even stepped out of town, Naomi realizes this is, she just can't do this. This is not fair. This isn't right. She had nothing to offer them. If they went back to Bethlehem, there would be nothing for them there. They would be strangers in the strange land. Their prospects for marriage and for children would be very, very limited. You see, the Jewish law provided for brothers to marry the widow of, of, a, of a brother who had passed away. But in this case, both brothers were gone. There were no more sons and Naomi realized that she was too old, it was way too late, there was no way she could have more sons for these two women. So she begged them to go back to their homes. She didn't want them to be a part of her hopeless situation. Stay in Moab. So with a tearful goodbye, Orpah decides to stay, to go back home. And she left. But the text tells us that Ruth clung to Naomi, held tight to her. She insisted on staying with her, going back to Bethlehem, which she did. But when they arrived there in Bethlehem, the whole town began to buzz with gossip because Naomi was back. It had been 10 years since she'd left. And suddenly these friends come out to meet and greet her, and they're shocked 
I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the grief, the pain, the, all that they'd been through, but it had taken its toll on Naomi. She didn't even look like herself. They said, is this Naomi? Could this be her? And this person with her, they don't even mention. Because she was an outsider, a foreigner, she would have been despised. And Naomi, when she got back, made no attempt to hide her bitterness and her pain. The text tells us near the end of chapter 1, she got back and she said, don't call me Naomi, because the name Naomi means sweet or pleasant. She said, my life isn't sweet or pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She wanted that to be her very name, because that's what she felt on the inside. Verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1, she explains, she says, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Wow. You get a sense of her devastation and her pain. Maybe you've been there. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you felt such pain and disappointment with God that you just felt God was against you, maybe even out to get you. What do you do in situations like that? How do you go on? How do you, how do you refill when you have the sense that you're completely empty? How do you find restoration when you've lost it all? And that is what this book is all about. That's the focus of the book of Ruth. It's what our January sermon series is all about when we're calling it Restored. That one word captures what happens here, what God does here in this book. We're going to see how God restores and redeems Naomi and Ruth in this very difficult situation. And we're going to learn together some of these principles of restoration that God works in our lives today as well. So if you're not there already, please now turn to the book of Ruth, look it up in your phone, electronic device. If you're at home, please grab a Bible, follow along with us. I'm going to be pulling out on, going to different verses throughout chapter 1 as we look at this today. And, and we're going to see, first of all, the impact of these difficult circumstances, what it did to Naomi specifically. And then we're going to learn how the... the there's a work of God that's going on that we want to make sure we don't miss, that we remember that God is working in ways we can't always see, that we need to be aware of. And we'll see those today too. So here's our first of two principles today. Difficult circumstances can lead to hopelessness, bitterness, and blindness. We see all three of those in the life of Naomi, and they can unfortunately happen to any of us as well. So first notice the hopelessness in Naomi's situation. So she decided to go back to Bethlehem, but she didn't go back with very much hope at all. Uh, she, it was the promised land, but it held no promise for her. And you see that even in the way that she responds to it and what she says to her daughters-in-law, verse 12 she says to them, even if I thought there was still hope for me, there it is right there. Obviously, she doesn't think there is. She said, even if I had a husband tonight and then I gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And so she says, my situation is hopeless. Don't come with me. And maybe you felt that kind of hopelessness before. 
You know, when, when things are so bad for you, you don't even want to drag anybody else along with you. You don't want to drag anybody else down. You don't want them to be a part of your struggle, a part of your sorrow. And, and I think sometimes that's why we don't ask for help often when we need it the most. It's why a lot of times we avoid others when we need to be around others most. And it's why we isolate when we really often, in those times, need fellowship. And, you know, they say there's this, the saying, misery loves company. And I think what that saying means is it just likes, misery likes other misery. But oftentimes, it's not even that misery wants any kind of company. Misery wants to be left alone. And a lot of times, that makes it worse than ever. If you've been there, if you've experienced that, you know that yourself. And that's how, that's how Naomi felt. She said, just, just leave. Just go home. Don't come with me. Don't be pulled down into my misery. That hopelessness then leads her to bitterness. So you see this next. And specifically, we've already mentioned this, bitterness against God. So the last part of verse 13, she says to Orpah and to Ruth, It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Man. Now, remember, she's talking to two young women who've just lost their husbands. They were widows too. And yet she feels it's even worse for her because she feels it's God against her. The good news here, I think, is that Naomi is at least still clinging to her belief in God. Do you see that here? She, she understands. She's speaking to God. She's speaking about God. And she's acknowledging His sovereign control over her life, which was true. And that was good. But the thing is that she, that led her, because she believed in God's sovereignty, it led her to blame God for her circumstances. And here's how that happens. Because any one of us can get drawn to that same mistake. And here's the mistake. She was interpreting God's character based on her circumstances, which were difficult, which were bad, rather than seeing her circumstances in light of God's character. Let me say that again. She was viewing God and His character and determining that based on her difficult circumstances rather than seeing her circumstances in light of God's character, which never changes. Just like we're saying about this morning, that He is faithful, He is there, He is present, He is helping. She didn't see it that way. You know, maybe you felt that bitterness before at some level. Angry at God, upset with Him that He would allow difficult circumstances in your life, that's understandable. You're not alone in that. Please understand that. That's a natural response because if we believe in God's sovereign control over everything, then our tendency will be to then thank Him for the blessings when things are good and to blame Him for our problems when things are bad. If God is sovereign, then it's always His fault, right? But you see, that's short-sighted. And here's the next thing, because when we do that, it means that we're not looking at the things that we cannot see. We're judging everything based on what we can see. And we know that's a mistake. And so bitterness 
often leads us to blindness, and that's what happened to Naomi. In what way was she blind? Well, she didn't see the blessing of being back in Bethlehem. She went back, but she didn't see it as a blessing. But we're going to see as we go through the book of Ruth how that turned out to be a great blessing in her life. She didn't see that that was coming, but it was coming because God is sovereign. She also didn't consider the blessing of extended family because she couldn't see it. She didn't even necessarily know about it. But God was at work in that, and we're going to see that in the book of Ruth as it unfolds because God is sovereign. And maybe the, and most importantly, she couldn't see the blessing that was walking right beside her as she went from Moab back to Bethlehem, the very person God had provided to be a blessing in her life. She didn't even notice. I think, I think at that point, Ruth was just a tag-along. Naomi may be still wishing she'd just stayed back in Moab. So, because when she gets to Bethlehem, all she does is complain and, and pour out her bitterness against God. You notice in the text, she never says a word about Ruth. Apparently doesn't even introduce her to the town because she missed it. She was blind. Her bitterness blinded her to the blessing that was walking right beside her. And maybe, maybe you've been there too, that when the pain and the bitterness become so great that you can't see past it and your loss is so overwhelming that you can't see what you've gained and you're fo- so focused on those that are gone, no longer around you, that you miss, that you don't even see the ones that are still around you that have been provided by God. I want to try to demonstrate this in kind of a silly way, but bear with me for a moment, and you're going to have to participate here, okay? So take your index finger and just put it right in front of your face, right in front of your nose, just right where you're sitting, just like this, and focus on your finger. Just look at your finger. Now, what you'll notice is you see your finger really clearly, but then everything else, you st- it's in your peripheral vision, but everything else is kind of blurry, right? Out of focus. So, here's what this represents, is when we focus on ourselves, focus on our pain, focus on our problem, there are still other things going on, but we don't see them very well. It all becomes blurry because we're so focused on that issue. Okay, now do this with me again. Put your finger in front of your nose, in front of your face. Now this time, instead of focusing on your finger, focus on something beyond. So I'm going to focus on the doors in the back. You focus on the cross behind me or something up front here. Now, notice that you see your finger still, but it's almost like you see right through it. Do you notice that? It's a fascinating thing. Right through your finger to that other thing beyond that you're focusing on. And that's what we're talking about here. That's the spiritual principle of focusing on God, on what He is doing. The problem, the pain is still there, but you can see other things. You're almost like you're seeing right through it to what God is doing. And that's where we need to come to. That's That's what Naomi needed in her life, things that she should have remembered that God was about and that He was doing even though she was experiencing difficulty. And this leads to our second point today, is that we need to remember that God provides, endures, and blesses. You know, one of the fascinating elements of the story is that we're not taught specifically about God 
by the narrator. In other words, the narrator of the story, the writer here, does not say, okay, here's point one about God. Here's what you need to know about God and kind of give us this point-by-point theology of what we are to believe about God. That's not how it happens. This is a narrative. So we learn, what we learn about God instead comes from the dialogue of the characters and the providential acts of God that are recorded by the narrator in the story. In in other words, we're not told what to believe about God. Instead, we gain faith in Him. We learn about Him as the story unfolds. Which leads to another interesting question, and that is, who wrote this book? So we pause for just a minute there because you think, well, the name Ruth is on it, so Ruth wrote it, right? Well, not necessarily. The book never claims that it was written by Ruth. It could have been recorded by her. The events of the story could have been recorded by Naomi or by Boaz or anybody else that was close to the story. But most likely, the book was actually written years later because at the end of the book, we get this genealogy of generations after Naomi and Ruth all the way down to King David. We're going to see the significance of that when we get to chapter 4. But for now, know that very likely it was written then to kind of show some of the lineage, the kingly line of David. So, the narrator, speaking of the narrator, actually is the one who gives us the first glimpse of God's provision. You're going to see here, here's how God provides. It's right there in verse 6. It's what prompts Naomi to go back to Bethlehem. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Probably here's one of those cycles we were talking about, the book of Judges. Israel had repented, God had rescued them, and He delivered them and brought rain, brought the crops back, and so there's food again. The house of bread, Bethlehem, had been restocked. And the last verse of the chapter tells us that the barley harvest was just beginning. So Naomi and Ruth arrive, and the narrator says, and it was the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, The narrator is kind of giving us a hint to what's to come in chapter 2, but it's also a reminder God is providing. God's already worked ahead of time for Naomi and for Ruth. See, when, when you're in the midst of trouble, don't miss the ways that God is providing for you. We've seen this this past year at Trinity so many ways. Maybe, maybe it was... The fact that you realize so many other people were praying for you in a time of need. As Jason mentioned at the beginning of the service, you you shared a request and prayer team prayed and somebody called and asked how it's going and just to know that your church family was praying for you. That's God providing for you. Maybe it was that a meal from a member of your small group or the meal train showed up and a meal showed up on your doorstep when you needed it. That's God providing through His people. Maybe it was a note of encouragement or maybe it was a, uh, something that somebody said or did in a moment that was just, that just made your day. Maybe it was an unexpected financial gift that showed up in the mail. Maybe it was just a picture or a video that hit you at just the right moment because that's what it was for me this week. So like many of you, we, we didn't have the big family gathering for Christmas that we would have liked to have and, and so... Um, Beth will tell you, I'm kind of a traditionalist in that I, I love our family gatherings, love Christmas to be, you know, those traditions. And when it didn't happen, I get a little bit mopey, you know, about that. Man, we're not going to have a Christmas. You didn't have to say yes to that. But. 
So this past week, as I'm moping around a little bit about it, we got a video, just a short little video from our kids in Milwaukee, just a, a real quick a little video about our, my grandson, Trey. Here it is. Why are you What's wrong with that one? It's Papa's. It's Papa's? Oh. So I'm going to take it this one. Oh, you're saving that one for Papa? Yeah. The rest of it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take it this one and make that one. Okay. That just warmed my heart. Here's my grandson so far away in Milwaukee, unprompted. He says, I'm going to save a special pastry for Papa. And he sets it aside for me. And in that moment, that video was just the thing that warmed my heart, encouraged me. And little ways that God provides when you're not expecting it, but maybe when you need it the most. And we need to notice those things and see them as gifts from God. But even when we don't, even when we don't see God's provision, even when we get caught up in our bitterness and our anger against Him, here's the second thing to remember about God, is that He endures our complaints. He allows us those moments to feel sorry for ourselves. I'm amazed at the Bible's honesty and transparency many times, but the writer of this book, you realize this, could have easily softened this could go back and write this later, could have, well, we can't say what Naomi said about God. I mean, this, this is God's Word. We don't want people to think bad about God, so we've got to take that stuff out. No, it's right here. The writer records what Naomi said. I read verses 20 and 21 a minute ago, but just to remind you, she says God made her life bitter. He brought her back empty. He afflicted her. He brought misfortune upon her. I mean, those are serious accusations against God. And God allowed them to be recorded right in His Word. Because God can take that. He's okay with that. He understands. And the Bible, right in, in this case, does not condemn or condone what Naomi does. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't the right thing. But she's not condemned because of it. Because she was expressing the pain in her heart. The Bible is recording her honest feelings. And sometimes we have those too. And you need to know this morning that God can endure our complaints. He has mercy for our murmurings. He has grace for our grumbling because He's God, because He loves us. There's an important word here. The Hebrew word chesed is the word for loyal love, or the NIV translates it often in the book of Ruth as kindness. But it's a word you see a lot throughout the Old Testament. And in verse 8, Naomi uses this word twice when she's urging her daughters-in-law to return home. She says, may the Lord show you kindness, that's chesed, as you have shown kindness, chesed. So she's saying, I want God's love to be shown to you because you've shown love to our family. And the Jews understood that this kind of loyalty was a loving kindness that God showed because of His covenant relationship with them. It's covenant love. And his people were to then learn how to demonstrate that love to each other. And so Ruth prays, Naomi prays for that, for Orpah and for Ruth. And because Orpah leaves the story, we don't find out how that manifested itself in her life. But we can see, we're going to be able to see how it comes to bear in Ruth's life. 
God's covenant love for her. And that leads to the third thing to remember, that when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, that God still blesses. In this first chapter, we've seen that God's greatest blessing to Naomi came in the person of Ruth. We've already mentioned that. But I want you to think about what this meant for Ruth. Not only was she willing to leave her family of origin and her home country, she was willing to go to live as a foreigner in Israel, in Bethlehem, be in a foreign country, in a foreign place, and to give up all possibility, as far as she understood it, of remarriage and of having children To be with Naomi, to care for her, was more important to her than any of that. It's amazing. And most important of all is she was willing to abandon the false gods of her homeland and to embrace the true God of Israel. And she says that in her very words. And the amazing thing about this, if you never noticed this, this was kind of new thought to me, is that Ruth makes this statement that we're going to read in just a minute about her commitment to Naomi and to God, right after Naomi has just said to her, God's brought all this terrible stuff into my life. After she's expressed her bitterness against God, even then, Ruth expresses her commitment to God. Look what she says, verse 16 and 17. She says this to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. When you die, I will die and there I will be buried. I mean, this is a lifetime commitment she's making. And perhaps you've heard these verses used in, at a wedding, you know, for a married couple. And it's, that's great. It fits well there. But that wasn't the context here. This is a daughter-in-law speaking these words to her mother-in-law. Now, in our day and age, usually mother-in-laws are the butt of a lot of jokes, right? But there's no mother-in-law joke going on here. This is a deep love for her mother-in-law. It's extraordinary. Ruth was willing to risk everything because of that love. And that, that love and commitment of Ruth was God's blessing in the life of Naomi. She Ruth was God's perfect gift to Naomi, but she still didn't even recognize it, at least not yet. She will. So, you know, like Naomi, maybe you're in or will be at some point in a stage of bitterness, but know that you are still being blessed. You may not see it. You may not feel it. Like Naomi, you may be blinded to that blessing because of the bitterness, but This passage reminds us to not miss the people God puts in your life to bless you. Because they may be the people that are right around you that you're overlooking because of your pain. Don't miss that blessing. And here's the other side of this is don't miss an opportunity perhaps to be that blessing to somebody else. So Ruth was there for Naomi in her time of brokenness and hurt. And maybe God will give you the opportunity to come alongside. Maybe that's happening in your life right now, to come alongside someone who's experiencing loss and sorrow and then just to stay there, even if they try to push you away, to stay engaged in that relationship out of love for that person. That's being a Ruth to that suffering Naomi. Because remember, Ruth was suffering herself can't miss this in the, in the midst of the story. Ruth had her own grief. She'd lost her husband. She had no children. 
She was willing to face life that way for the sake of Naomi. That's commitment. This uh, past week on the recommendation of a friend, Beth and I watched the movie Amish Grace. It's been out for a couple of years and maybe you've seen it. It's the story of the Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. It was in the news back in 2006 and there was a horrible situation where a man who was actually the milkman for that community came in, brought guns, went into that one-room schoolhouse in that Amish community, boarded it up, and shot ten little girls in that school. Five of them died. And he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. And in that horrible tragedy, our whole nation, if, if you remember from that, was watching and this Amish community responded with incredible grace and forgiveness. And maybe the most poignant moment in that whole event of turn of events was after burying a number of those little girls themselves, that suffering community, a number of them came to the graveside service of the murderer to stand alongside his widow and children who were left behind. In a circumstance where most people would have run away, had hatred and avoided at all costs in their own suffering, they went to minister to and comfort this woman and her kids who were suffering too. And the story went on in the weeks to follow how much that impacted her life, that these people had cared for her and forgiven her for the terrible things that her late husband had done. This picture of grace in the midst of suffering. And, and that's, uh, maybe that's had an impact on me because I've thought about this, how I want to apply this lesson from Ruth in my own life and, and really for us as a church in this new year because in our current COVID circumstances that we're still living with, it's easy to get caught up in all the debates that are going on, in the discouragement of it still dragging on, the frustration of it, the sorrow for sickness and for those who have been touched by death because of this. All that, all those emotions are worked up for all of us. But I, I want us in the midst of that, in the midst of that, this current struggle that we would find ways to express God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's blessing, just like Ruth did for Naomi. That we would find people who've lost jobs or lost a family member who are struggling with even maybe more than we are from the effects of this pandemic, and we would be the ones to minister to them because that's what God's called us to as believers. So I don't know how this will work out this year. My goal this morning is maybe just to set the table here this first Sunday in January to say, let's be aware, let's a church, let's be looking for those opportunities and asking God to give us opportunities to minister grace. Grace in the midst of suffering and confusion and frustration. To not get caught up in all that ourselves, but to Offer grace. This morning, maybe you may find yourself in one of two places. Maybe you're in Naomi's shoes and you're struggling. If so, know that it's okay to voice your complaint to God. He can take it. But don't, in the midst of that, forget His blessings. Notice, look beyond, focus on what else God is doing. Focus on how He is providing for you 
and blessing you. And look for those opportunities, the other side of this, to be a Ruth. Ask God to give you an opportunity. And it doesn't mean that you're not suffering yourself. Maybe even in the midst of your own struggle, your own pain, whatever you're dealing with, that's understood. Ruth had that too. But in the midst of that, say, God, give me an opportunity. And then as he does, take that risk. Be willing to step out and, and minister to somebody else. Because it'll be worth it. God will bless that obedience as we're going to see that He does in the life of Ruth as well. And I know it not only from the book of Ruth, I know it from the example of Jesus Himself because that's exactly what He did, right? He was the greatest Ruth of all in that sense and that He came to us in our suffering, in our struggle, in our sin, and He gave His life for us, the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of salvation. And we're going to come in just a few minutes to the table, and we're going to celebrate that. Christ giving His body and shedding His blood. And we need to come to that table ready to thank Him for that sacrifice, for that covenant love to us, and be motivated because of it to show that covenant love to others. As we prepare to, for the table, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song called, I Will Wait For You. We've not done this a number of times here at Trinity. I want to just remind you of the words as we prepare to sing. It's a call to wait on God's blessing as we're crying out to Him. That's what we see in the first chapter of Ruth. The song says, I will wait for you, I will wait for you, through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. Let's make that our prayer right now. Lord, we come to you recognizing that we need to wait on you. We can call out our pain and our, out of our suffering like Naomi did, but then, Lord, we need to trust and believe that you are there, that you are going to provide, that you're going to bless, that you're going to restore our lives because that's who you are. That's what you do. Because of your sovereignty, Lord, you are working in ways we cannot see, so help us to trust you and trust you for what we cannot see and wait for you to show it to us. Help us wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.